Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. In every generation of models, there's always one serious trailblazer, someone who shatters the paradigm and ultimately changes the game for everyone. In the 1960s, Danielle Luna appeared on British Vogue and was touted the first black supermodel. Gia Karanji changed the face of 1980s fashion while living as an openly queer woman. These icons pushed the boundaries of our consistently narrow beauty standards. And then Tess Holliday came along and threw them all right out the window. Fuck your beauty standards, she said. A new groundbreaker was born. The truth is, Tess was an outlier from the start. At 15, she attended an open call for plus-size models. The casting agents told her to quit. At 5'4 and a size 16, Tess was both too short and too big. She knew they were right, but she didn't care. Tess was used to adversity. Her childhood was marked by violence and hardship. Her mother was disabled after being shot by a boyfriend, and Tess was bullied so brutally at school that she left early and got her GED. Tess knew she was different from other aspiring models in many ways, but something urged her to keep going. So she did, for 10 years. Finally, in 2011, something began to shift. She was working as a receptionist, doing occasional photo shoots and posting self-produced photos online. Her face was getting out there, but not her name. And all that changed in 2013, when Tess first used her now famous Instagram hashtag, F your beauty standards. The phrase became a battle cry for the body positivity movement. And Tess was one of its most visible and vocal champions. Millions flocked to her platform, where she shared stunning, sometimes arresting photos of herself, proving beyond any doubt that Tess was indeed a supermodel in the making. She then landed a deal with Milk Management. And just like that, Tess became the first size 22 model to sign with a mainstream agency. Consider a new paradigm born. Today, Tess is pretty much living her dream. She's a celebrated model, an activist, a mother of two, and married to her longtime partner. But the battle for inclusion is far from over, and Tess wakes up every day ready to charge to the forefront, like the pioneers who came before her. She's leading her industry into the future, in full hair and makeup, of course, with a baby on her hip. Tess Holiday, it is such a pleasure to have you as a guest on Unstyled today. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. You just did the the self-cover and you did an incredible story. And there was just so much promotion around that. But also just Cosmo UK just came out. How does that feel? I mean, I was blown away by that cover. <laughs> Thank you. It was really hard to keep a secret. I told like a few close friends and I know that you understand like in the industry, you never really get excited about anything until it happens, until you actually see it. And so even... Ain't that the truth. (laughs) I just, everyone promises you everything and let's get coffee and nothing happens. And so 
when I went over to shoot the cover, when it was my second time meeting Farah, the editor, I was completely blown away by her and the staff and the fact that she told me, like, your body is a Cosmo body. And leading up to the cover, I was an absolute train wreck because I felt like I don't look the way that I should look for Cosmopolitan. And I was, like, picking myself apart because it was just, like, the stereotypical, you know, magazine that you'd seen so long and, like, the same bodies and the same... I don't know. So I felt like I didn't belong. It was really, it really messed with me actually. So I had to keep like psyching myself up. What did you think you were supposed to look like? I mean, I know obviously I don't look like everybody else, but in my mind I was like, well, you know, I'm too fat and I'm too this to do Cosmo. And I was like, I felt honestly, I kind of felt like they were messing with me until I actually got there but that's my own trauma and everything coming into it I know but it's my (laughs) own it's my own trauma like I I've really done a lot of work this year with my with actually my trauma because when I was writing my book a lot of it resurfaced so I've been kind of dealing with all of that but since the covers come out I wasn't expecting the response that it got I mean The Self Magazine kind of prepared me a little bit, but Cosmo was a whole nother level and everyone dissecting my body. But honestly, I've been on like not even cloud nine, like cloud 100. I mean, obviously, there's always people in everything that I do that say that I'm promoting obesity and how disgusting I am. And, you know, it's... um. I definitely have days where it bothers me, but in this in this instance, like I had a party at my house and I put my best friend put my cover on a cake and it was I saw you eating it. <laughs> I was just I think I cried during that on that uh, post too because I can't even imagine what it feels like to be on the cover of one of the most influential and iconic women's magazines yeah. of of all time and it's a beautiful cover. Thanks. I'm if, really proud of it. If if you haven't seen the cover of of Tess Holiday on Cosmo UK, please go out and get it or check it out on her Instagram. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and I can't even imagine like you thinking for a second, although it's, you know, I don't think any of us really know what each other goes through. Because it feels like such a an amazing Cosmo cover. Like it feels like to- totally right for Cosmo, especially in the UK. I am, um, you know, the UK has such an issue with, with size acceptance and they're not as far, they're not as progressive as we are in the US, even though all of my favorite plus size fashion mostly comes out of the UK. Like I feel like they have the fashion down, but as far as like them accepting, you know, marginalized bodies, not so much. So it really means a lot to them. But I also think that's why it was such a shock to people because they're, you know, it's it's frustrating to use the word shock in regards to my body because it's like so gross, but that's really what, you know, unfortunately that's what a lot of people associate with when they see me is like the shock of, you know, someone, uh, my size existing, which is why I have a lot more work to do because it shouldn't, there shouldn't be the correlation there. What do you think sort of like creates that reaction? Do you think it's just discomfort in themselves? Do you think it's just societal? Uh, What do you think is kind of prompting that kind of reaction? It's definitely a combination of everything that you said. It's definitely, uh, you know, it comes down to people projecting their own insecurities onto me. And, And for so long, our society 
uh, worldwide has been told that the worst thing you could be is is fat, right? So the worst thing in the world that could happen, well, you know, I might be this or that, but at least I'm not fat, right? Or it, there's all of this stuff and all of, you know, the, the diet industry is a multi-billion dollar industry and it capitalizes on all of us feeling horrible about ourselves. And so, um, you know, to, to most people, I'm what their worst nightmares look like, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty fabulous. So I feel like, um, you know, I must be like a beautiful nightmare or something. I don't know. Gross. That's a song, but, um, you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to carry so much of like people's emotional energies with me all the time. But the rewarding part is like, um, I go to Disneyland a lot, which everyone knows. I live 20 minutes away from there and I go all the time. But part of why I go is because a ton of my followers uh, come up to me when I'm there and it makes their day. And, and, you know, people are crying when they meet me saying that like, because of seeing someone like me, they're able to exist in this world. And so that's why regardless I, of their differences a hundred percent and 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 the people that come up to me people I think there's a misconception that they're plus size and they're not they're all kinds of of people like women men however they identify whatever they look like it's because everyone feels crappy about themselves in some aspect at least once a week so. It's nice. I think to- <laughs> it's occasionally more than that. <laughs> Mine's like twenty times a day, but um, you know, it's that's why I just try to be honest about it. That that it's none of this is easy. How do you translate if something like that occurs? That's particularly upsetting. You know, you just um, talked about like sort of working with your trauma, and I know that you've been working with like this new trainer. And how do you do? You have like any kind of like default that you engage in order to make sure that you don't really like react to it, like sort of breaking a pattern of how how you actually feel after something like that happens? Usually. So in this instance, with how I've been feeling, especially with this past week with Cosmo blowing up. That's got to be some serious validation. (laughs) No, it's been great. But when I said blowing up, I meant like more like people ripping apart my body, right? So I can't even, I, I do my best to respond to as many followers as I can, like, especially on Twitter, I try to engage with them and, you know, it makes them feel better and it makes me feel good. And I was trying to keep up with all of it when it first came out. And then of course the flood of stuff comes in about, um, people tearing me apart. And normally what I would do is delete all of the social media apps off of my phone. So not delete my account, but just delete social media off of my phone for a couple days. If I don't have work, I have to do or my publicists are incredibly supportive and they will, you know, take over social for me or find someone that can so that I can take a break. So I will, in that case, if I feel myself going down a spiral, uh, my husband usually notices it before I do. And he'll say, he'll take my phone away from me or he'll tell me to take a moment and take a break from social media. Or even yesterday when I was on the plane, I connected to Wi-Fi because my two-year-old started preschool. And so I wanted to see how he was. And I messaged my husband and he goes, you should be using this time to take a break from social media, but you have no... Watch a terrible movie. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, the answer really is just deconnecting from social media and giving myself a break and also trying to be kind to myself and, and not try to absorb some of people's awful 
energies, but it's, but I'm not good at it. Like sometimes I work out, sometimes that means I eat pizza that night and like watch a bad movie with my kids. And it, I wish that I had a better system, but lately I've been not as great at doing self-care. I think it does sound like you have a pretty solid system (laughs) and it sounds like you have a good partner if he's paying attention and he notices when there's a change. So this quote that was in the self piece that came out about a month and a half or two months ago really moved me, but it also felt like such a turning point in this sort of ongoing dialogue that you are having with your, not just your audience, but I think with, you know, the culture of body positivity and what that means and how people engage with that conversation. And you said, by telling people that you see a doctor and telling people that you're healthy, it's perpetuating the abuse against bigger bodies and the mindset that we owe it to people to be healthy. The reality is I don't owe you shit. (laughs) And I don't have to prove that I'm healthy or not because it is nobody's business but mine. And I actually really love that. And it's interesting because I'm being pregnant now, I've noticed that people look at you when you're pregnant and they feel, everybody sort of feels entitled to have an opinion about your body, touching you. And I can only imagine that that's a small part of what it might feel like, you know, for you to actually sort of endure that kind of objectification all the time. Being pregnant and fat and having a large following and every, you know, every news outlet looking at me was awful because everyone was just like in my head, I kept thinking, I hope I don't have, you know, gestational diabetes. My husband and I went to a movie theater right before my test and forgot that I wasn't supposed to eat. So I had popcorn and peanut M&Ms and then went in for my test. Girl, you're not supposed to have any carbs. (laughs) So we came back the next day and I was fine. I literally thought through my entire pregnancy, like, what if I get something? Everyone's going to blame it on the fact that I'm fat. Or even now I was walking through JFK and I, I had new tennis shoes on and they slipped yesterday. And I thought to myself, if I broke my fucking leg, everyone would say, oh, it's because she's fat or whatever. And so it's, it's a constant thing in my head where you feel like you have to justify a hundred percent. It's extremely frustrating. When I was pregnant, everyone would say, well, I hope you don't eat your baby or, you know, um, not people that, you know, no, they would not be my friends. I'm very, I, because of my, my childhood and my trauma and all of that, I'm very, weird about who I let into my circle, but also because I'm a public figure and whatever. That's a whole nother story. But no, strangers would say that I was going to eat my baby or that I was, you know, going to kill my child and just horrible things that no one should say to anybody. But because I'm fat and because I was pregnant, people felt like they were, quote unquote, saving me from myself. And um, even now, I would say that most interactions from people are positive when they see me, even if they don't know me. I get, you know, people compliment me quite a bit and they say nice things to me. But I also think like that's probably because of the way that I carry myself and I'm over the top and I don't care. But I also think about my friends, like my friend Cindy back home, like, and I'm not calling her out. This is just how she is. She doesn't show her arms and she wears cardigans no matter the weather and leggings and she hides her body and it You know, we've been friends for 10 years and I think like how people would treat or look at her because she covers herself and hides like the judgment that people pass on her unfairly. And I don't know, I just um, I, I stopped telling people 
especially when I got pregnant and, and after that I'm healthy and I stopped having the conversation with them because it just gives people, it kind of gives them permission to to keep saying gross things to me and inappropriate things about my body and judging me um, unfairly. I hope things change. I think that they are, but um, I don't know if things are going to change in the time that I'm like on this earth, but we'll see. Like to work, especially for for fat bodies. The one thing that's encouraging is that people are talking about it. Mm-hmm. That it is finally a dialogue that's that exists not just in the fashion industry. It's like nice to see that there is a, an awareness on some level that seeing diverse body types is really really important for for everyone. Yeah. Unstyled Podcast is made possible by Refinery29 and Airy, your body positive go-to for intimates and loungewear. You know exactly what you'd want to wear while binge listening to your favorite podcast. Never retouched and always real, Airy gives you the everyday pieces that make you feel confident, strong, and always the real you in your own style. But I want to talk a little bit about when you were growing up, you had a really difficult relationship with your father and your mother became disabled after she was shot mm-hmm. by, was it a boyfriend? It was her new fiance. Yeah. So that's a pretty difficult environment to to grow up in, to really find your your place in and to really feel you know secure and strong. But tell me what it was like dealing with your dad's behavior towards you and sort of being seen or not seen by him? It was quite difficult. I find myself trying to break some of the behavior even now with my own children um, because he had a really awful temper and he would, uh, and I talk about him in past tense because I haven't seen or spoken to him in five years, I guess it's been. And he had a short temper and he would say, horrible things to me. And then sometimes he would apologize and sometimes he wouldn't. Um, But I grew to understand that the apologies didn't mean anything at a very young age because the behavior would continue. They say that children who are abused are more likely to be abusers. And so I noticed that when I get upset, I have to really catch myself to not lash out and say awful things because I don't want to be that person. My older son, Riley, will be 13 in January. And I had only one instance where I said something that I shouldn't have. And I sat him down and had a really long conversation. And I said, look, even though I went through all of this as a kid, I know that that doesn't excuse my behavior and how I acted. And I literally debriefed it with him. And thank goodness he's a beautiful child. And he, I always refer to him as my partner in crime because him and I have grown up together. I had him when I was 20 and and him and I have been through a lot together and he is smart and he understood. And But I don't want to like be that person because of my father and I and I think that um, oftentimes people that grow up in abusive environments, I don't think that they use it as an excuse. But I think that when you have so much trauma so early in your life, that you can either let it eat you alive, or you can take it and 
hopefully change it and do something with it. And I'm really grateful that I have made it out on the other side of of all the awful stuff I went through, but it still resurfaces. I still deal with everything that I went through um, in my childhood now, currently. Like I have to fight it constantly. It ruined my body image. It ruined my relationships with men I didn't date. I've had. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Two relationships in my entire life. <laughs> it's been, it was tough. It's been tough. I think it's really, really difficult to let go of the anger that you have about things that happened when you were a kid. I mean, I'm in my 40s and sometimes my husband, like I'll be complaining about something because something triggered it, triggered a memory or, or you know, something that happened that really felt painful for me. And he'll just be like, you have to let that go. You have to let that go. That's exactly what my husband tells yeah, me. Yeah, and I think that, you know, he's such a, a great example to me because he is someone that's a little bit more relaxed about, like, living in the present and really just reacting to what's happening around him in the moment. And I can sometimes really, like, go to that place and really kind of wallow in... Um, me too. And feel sorry for myself. I want someone to feel sorry for me because, you know, I think to myself sometimes, you know, what could, what kind of potential could I have had, had I not had a little bit more, you know, encouragement or support. And it's something that I think about a lot on the, you know, sort of like on the eve of, of having my first child. What do you think is different about what you know about parenting between your two sons? There was about 10 years between them? 10 years, yeah. 2000, 10 years. 2006 and 2016. So what do you think maybe you've learned over that decade? And how did you sort of approach being a mom in a different way? And what was maybe the same? Man, I I said this the other day to someone. When I found out that I was I was pregnant. Um, I got pregnant when I was 19. I had my, my first son when I was 20. And you always considered having him. It was like not even a question. No, I um, I, I talk about it in my book. I um, I actually, I was going to consider terminating the pregnancy, but because I'm from Mississippi, I'm from the Bible Belt, that was not an option for me at that time. Now, I it definitely would be different, but there was so much shame and stuff from where I had grown up and and pressure from my uh, my mother and my family once they found out. So that wasn't an option. And then I met with one family about doing an adoption and I couldn't do it. I, I was six months pregnant before I really admitted to myself that I was pregnant. I didn't see a doctor until I was six months pregnant. Um, because I, I don't think you're alone in that. I think, <laughs> I think that, I think there's probably a lot of women yeah. that have done that. Well, I kept trying to think that if I forgot that it wasn't real, that it wouldn't be real because I... It doesn't go away. No, <laughs> I found that out. Um, but I um, I really struggled with um, 
with like, am I going to love this child? Am I going to be able to feel connected to him? Because I, um, you know, I didn't know, uh, hit, you know, his birth father. And there were so many things that, that I went through in my, and my head. And I actually had to go to counseling when I was pregnant because I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to love this child. And I would say that it took me and, and Riley, um, we didn't quite bond until he was about three years old. So I loved him. I cared for him. I was there every single day. But that feeling that people talk about when they have a child wasn't there for me with him because I wasn't ready. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a single mom. I was struggling to support us. And, and so I really... And even my whole birth process, like it was quite cold. Like I had a C-section. They took him away from me. I didn't see him for a couple hours afterwards. So there was no skin to skin. I mean, it was, it. I was treated kind of like a factory. Clinically. And, yeah. And so that our relationship really suffered in the beginning. Now it's incredibly different having Bowie and being married. It was unexpected, but we were both so excited. And I will say that having having Bowie really made all of us feel like a family. And it brought not only me closer to Riley, but it made him like he he was the one that wanted a sibling. He kept asking us for a sibling and and now having a child in my 30s and and not struggling like I was when I had Riley, being financially secure and like so many, all of those stresses taken out of my life, I finally get it. And I feel it almost makes me sad uh, if I'm honest, because I wish that I could kind of redo everything with my older son because I feel like he missed out on a lot. But I also know that I can't, my husband always tells me I can't beat myself up over it. But do you think that Riley maybe taught you how to love? Yeah, I think so. It's a nice way to put it. I do. I mean, you were 19 years old and you'd had a pretty rough childhood. And I think this perfect little being comes (laughs) into your life. I mean, I think how can you not really learn about loving yourself, loving somebody else? You know, the beginnings of, of that sort of pattern breaking like begins. And I think that maybe that's like... Maybe it's not so much about what you could have given him, but what, you know, he was able to give to you. I'm trying not to cry right now because it's really (laughs) real. It's no, that's actually really true. I've never thought of it that way. Well, I think that there's like, not to get super woo woo, but I'm going to do it. It's just, (laughs) I do think that there is some truth to you choose your parents. I think that maybe it's more about what you guys were able to create together and I think that that's what being a parent can can be. I don't think it's necessarily just about you, I don't know, just being able to channel all of this perfect love and protection and support 24 hours a day. I just don't know that that's realistic. Well, it's good that you say that because there's so much pressure on parents, especially now in the age of social media, that everything is just perfect. Most of the mom bloggers that I follow are women of color and they talk about like what it's actually like, like the realness and rawness of 
of being a mom, but there's so much pressure placed on moms for everything to be perfect and for and for your life to be perfect when a child a comes bit. in. Yeah, but that's not the reality. The reality is that being a parent is messy and half the time I have someone else bodily fluids all over me and like, you know, it's not in like a sexual way, but like, you know, I've got like, I've got like whatever, like boogers and, you know, old suckers. And cause right now I have to bribe my two year old with lollipops to do anything. And I know people would probably judge me, but I don't really care unless they, you know, I, there's only so many times that a two year old can kick you in the face trying to put them in a car seat. So I'm like, take this lollipop. I don't care. Um, but if it, if it Bowie. Was, yeah. Oh, he's a Gemini. He's a fighter. He sounds defiant. Oh, he's... I love he the is. post that you had when you were trying to take a bath and you'd just gotten a new tattoo <laughs> and your leg is literally like around your neck, but Bowie like insisted on getting in the bathtub yes. with you. Yeah. And you were really honest about the fact that he was like not having it. Oh, he... This was no... There was no sort of like alone time for no. you in that moment. I tell Riley all the time that I wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for him because having him made me start taking my life seriously because before that I was just a train wreck and having him gave me a purpose. And so that's what pushed me to have the career and be where I am. So I will say that in regards to Bowie, he's an absolute monster and in the best way. He's very strong-willed and my husband always jokes that he gets it from me. Like he gets his stubbornness from me because Nick always reminds me that I'm where I am because I don't take no for an answer. But I just, I don't know, I've just kind of always pushed along and unfortunately I have um, spawned that into my toddler. (laughs) So yeah. It's all about contrast. You have a special airing today on People TV? I do. So uh, People Magazine, which everyone's familiar with, started a... Um, I don't know it. What's what's, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's the only magazine that I grew up reading as a kid that my mom subscribed to. So People Magazine started a streaming platform called People TV. So it's an app that uh, you download. So they have content now exclusive to People TV. So they have shows and mine is one of them. So it's called Tess Holiday Making It Big. And it's basically just my life. It's basically just shows what goes into the photos that people see on Instagram and really the reality that my life is not uh, like, yes, I have moments of being glamorous, but my life is very far from it. I, there's actually... Um, I think people really love that about you, though. <laughs> I actually think it's something... Thanks. Yeah, I think it's something that is is kind of an escape for people, that you have such uh, appreciation for caring for yourself and, like, you know, how you look. And I love, like, your like, makeup, <laughs> and I love when you, like, do your outfit shoots. And I just think it's really... I don't know. It's just fun. It's it's like a, a fantasy. You know, it's fun. The the team that I have with me today of hair and makeup. You have a big crew. 
<laughs> well, I only have my hair and makeup and my publicist, but yeah, I do. My team that I have with me though, like they will literally come over and do like gigantic beehives and like ridiculous makeup just to take photos to like if I'm having a bad day, like just to cheer me up. And it's fun. I'm, I would be lying if I said it wasn't fun. But then there's also like in part of the show, there's the, the, the show literally opens with me. I forget when I have microphones attached to me and then we all do. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, you're saying something stupid. So mine was um, I, I blurted out. Why didn't anyone tell me there was a sun chip in my tits? And then I laughed and said, well, I, that's I would have eaten it if I knew it was there. Of and course you would have. Anyone would. <laughs> I then, wish I had a bag of sun chips right now. <laughs> Let's talk about your trainer, Mossy. What are you guys teaching each other? Well, Mossy had started following me on social media, and I was very skeptical of her because I judged her unfairly because of her appearance. Because I'm like, who is this super fit woman who's following me? And I then follow I, her now yeah. through you, and I cannot believe the stuff that she does. Oh, she's incredible. The way she works out. No, she's a monster. No joke. She's so gentle and understanding with me, but also like tough. She likes to joke with me when we work out, and she'll say, you know, I'm like, oh, this is hard. And you know, I'm like struggling. And then at the end, I'll finish it. And she's like, you got this girl. Like she's always, but not in like the trainer way, like you got this, but it's genuine. She's like, you got this. And then she'll say, but did you die? But did you die? Like that's what she'll say to me. And I have to laugh. And of course now my husband says it to me when I'm complaining about something. (laughs) He'll go, but did you die? And I'm like, oh, thanks, Mossy. Almost. (laughs) I actually have not seen her in two weeks and I'm so upset about it. And I've never missed working out before ever but she she promised me that when we started this I don't want to say journey but when we started working out together that she would make it fun and I laughed in her face and she genuinely has made it fun for me I enjoy like doing all of the workouts and she makes me laugh like I laugh during every single workout because sometimes it's ridiculous and sometimes it is awful because working, I don't really know many people that like actually love working out and I'm I'm not, I don't love working out, but I enjoy working out with her. It's, she's teaching me like that my body's capable of more than I thought that it was. Yeah. And so when I went to her, I said, I don't want to lose weight. I'm focused on strong. I'm focused on like seeing what my body can do because I've done it all that I wanted to do mostly career wise and I have more time to put into myself. So like what, like it's kind of more of a challenge. And for her, when I call myself fat, you can tell that it makes her a little uncomfortable and she'll try and correct me. And so I'm trying, I'm working with her on that. She never makes me feel bad about myself or if I message her and say like, look, I had pizza today. She's like, you can have pizza. That's fine. You know, but like you could have pizza this way. So she's growing up in Mississippi. I had horrible food choices. And so um, I still love biscuits and gravy and grits and like fried pork chops and all that stuff. I can like cook it like nobody's business, but she's teaching me like what I need to eat now to keep up with the level that my career's at because I love pizza, but I also love quinoa and stuff now that oh, I... Oh, I hate quinoa. I love quinoa so You know why? Because it always gets stuck in my teeth. And oh. it's just like, it's really like a nightmare. I just use people's business cards that they give me to get quinoa out of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I just take photos of their business cards and then I... It's really bad. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about the industry? 
of plus size fashion. And I don't know if you refer to it as that, but we talked a little bit about Christian Siriano and like what a important person he is in this movement around um, extending sizes and, you know, allowing for there to be more range and more options for people that really want to have a fashionable life and, um, and have choice. So tell me a little bit about some of the brands that you love and also what you think maybe needs to change. So so with my fashion, I always like to mix in affordability with something high end because that's how I like to dress. I, I always hated it growing up. I mean, not that there were plus size women in magazines, you know, fashion magazines when I was growing up, but I always hated when I would read magazines and I couldn't afford anything. And so when my followers see me, I want them to be able to buy and wear what I'm wearing and be able to afford it. So I always keep that in the back of my mind. And I speak to my stylist and my team that I want affordability. But then, yeah, I will put on like $700 glasses or That's whatever. Okay. Um, but I... It's all about balance. It is. It is. I feel like, yeah, it's not ridiculous. But I love ASOS. I like Mod Cloth. I like Zeely for She. I like Christian Siriano, Chromat, Jabri, who's based in Atlanta, who makes phenomenal stuff. There's so many designers. But I love people that do plus size fashion that like take risks with their clothing. And I know I'm leaving people off, but I'm just naming off the top of my head. But there's so there's so much plus size options now that it's overwhelming, but I still like to go with people that take risks. I feel like in regards to how things need to change is just, I wish that more designers took risks. I wish that there were more options and high end. There's so 11 on array is is a company that has sprouted up that is starting to work with designers to actually carry high-end pieces past, you know, a size. So I think they start at like 10 and go up to 22 now. And I really want to see more designers designing for past 22 because the reality is like we have money to spend and there are just no options. Like I, there's so many designers that I love and I just can't wear their stuff. So I'll buy their accessories, but I can't wear Do you reach out to them? The amount of times that I've reached out to Gucci (laughs) is ridiculous. You should do a collab with them. I would love to. They do plus size for men, but they don't do plus size for women. And I know that they've dressed like Beth Ditto before for things. And so the capabilities are there, but I just, it's frustrating because I, I love like all of that stuff, but I can't, I can't wear it. So, and I love Alexander McQueen and Vivian Westwood. And so, um, but Vivian Westwood. Oh, I think you'd be amazing in Vivian Westwood. (laughs) I have, she may. I'd look ridiculous in Vivian Westwood. (laughs) Respect, but still. I, you know, I like, um, I, she makes oversized capes that actually fit my body. I just wish that there were more options, like high-end options. I feel like in plus size, we have the kind of fast fashion down. Like I could name at least like 10 different places that have affordable, fast plus size fashion. But as far as high end, we're just not there yet, unfortunately. I want to design a a collection of plus size coats. Oh my God. They're so easy to sort of just like throw on over your, you know, your leggings or anything that you have and just makes you feel really special. I am obsessed with coats because it's just easy to layer or like dress up or dress down an outfit. And my four favorite um, coats or jackets that I own are all vintage because they fit my arms because they had the styles were like, you know, bigger and billier and oversized. And now 
now, like plus size jackets never fit my arms because I my arms are larger than most people's. We should do it together. I would your your mouth to baby Jesus's ears. I would love to. We could design all the textiles together. <laughs> Who wants to do this with us? Um, I would love to. Tess Holiday, it is you. such an incredible time in your career and in your life right now. I'm so happy for you, and I thank you for, for just giving us all so much joy. Thank you for being a guest on Unstyled today. Thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yay. Really. <laughs> I hope you're inspired after hearing Tess's story. For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head over to refinery29.com to find this episode and more. And make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was executive produced by Bridget Todd, associate produced by Rebecca Easley, and edited by Priscilla Mena. Copy support was provided by Kelsey Miller. Talent was booked by Joanna Bomberg. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff. And we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. We'll see you back here on Thursday for a conversation with actor, author, and social media star, Busy Phillips on going filter free. See you then.